we have AI models, deep learning models to analyze audio. So we're analyzing the different types of noises that the kids make, uh, which can be cooing, different types of bubbling, because those are key to the developmental stage where the kid is at. So we analyze those with AI and combine them, the results with uh, the current research that is around of uh, the milestones that kids should be meeting at every month regarding language. Well, welcome to Cloud Talk. This week, we're going to dig into the depths of artificial intelligence and specifically natural language processing. Now, I've had the opportunity to speak with some incredibly intelligent individuals in the field, and I've learned a few things. One, that NLP has been a focus of study for a lot longer than I appreciated. And two, there are some incredibly interesting ways that it's being used today line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking the sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. So when we're talking about natural language processing, this is a subset of machine learning, which itself is a subset of the overarching category of artificial intelligence. Now, machine learning is the study of computer algorithms that improve automatically through experience. These algorithms build a mathematical model based on training data, or basically a sample set of the data that we need to make some decisions on. Now, this is all used to be able to either make predictions predictions or decisions without being explicitly programmed to do so. Now for that definition, we can credit Wikipedia, but to better understand the topic, I thought it best to get that from an expert. Now I'd like to reintroduce you to Mark McQuaid. Mark's been on the program before, but he fills his day solving problems through machine learning. Mark, welcome back to the program. Always, uh, always happy to come back. So was I right in how I was classifying artificial intelligence to machine learning to natural language processing, or is there a better way to think about it? It's, uh, it's kind of you know a broad area, right? Um, you have your your artificial intelligence, right, which is uh, you know AI, right, and um, from within artificial intelligence, you have machine learning, which is a subset of AI. Okay, um, and then from within uh, that you have deep learning, which is, is a, a subset of machine learning. So you kind of have those three kind of all used interchangeably in the world, all wrapped together, right? So, well, that makes sense. So machine learning um, sure seems to be the one that's the most popular. Um, what's it good for? How is it? How is it used? Just let's define that specifically before we talk about deep learning. Yeah, I mean, machine learning is used for uh, anything that you want to uh, predict or forecast in the future based on previous data, right? So um, if you had a problem where you're, uh, you have a ton of data, let's say, and you want to, uh, in an automated fashion, have you know, predictions based on that, um, you know, future predictions, you would look at using some form of machine learning, right? It's the ability for, for computer software to uh, perform a prediction or forecast uh, without being explicitly programmed to do so. So is that a big difference then between 
between machine learning and deep learning? Because it seems like deep learning is, is we're trying to understand what's happening right now, at least it seems to me. Uh, so is that a, a difference between deep learning and machine learning? Yeah, I mean, they, they are different in a way. I mean, like I said, it's deep learning is a subset of machine learning, but they are different in the way that uh, deep learning um, is is backed with artificial neural networks, right? So uh, deep learning uh, kind of tr- uses a model of, uh, you know, the brain, right, with neurons in the brain uh, and how all the, the nodes and the neurons are connected from within the brain. So it, it is a different, you know, kind of flavor of machine learning and it, it offers, you know, kind of different results and solutions and outcomes. Um, but, you know, it, again, it's it's, it's along the same, you know, deep learning and machine learning follow the same patterns within the AI field. Okay. So, so as we think about then uh, deep learning and you talk about nodes and neurons, I mean, help, help connect biology to silicon here for me. What, what, what's a node? What is a node doing? Yeah, so um, with a deep learning, uh, you know, when you're when you're performing any kind of deep learning, you have uh, you know a, a whole bunch of nodes. As I said, it kind of mimics the brain um, that are fully connected, right? So you'd have uh, you know a, a, an input layer, let's say, which is your uh, your your inputs, right? Um, and then you'd have an output layer, which is uh, what you're trying to accomplish, what you're trying to predict. And then from within, you would have you know a, a bunch of hidden layers, right? And that's uh, that's a layer from within. Um, uh, between the uh, where they're all connected, if that makes sense, right? So um, a fully connected uh, artificial neural network is what it's called. So then, when you when you have a, a machine learning model, it seems like those are more static. There's the, you go through a lot of work to define it, to create it, and then off it goes to do its job. But deep learning, it, it can be refined over time, and it almost refines itself if it's built right over time. Yeah, I mean, so in the in the deep learning world, what you do is, uh, you know, you have you put in your inputs, right, um, and then you have your hidden layers, right, and then you have an output layer. So, you know, it, it goes through the, the 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 flow, let's say, and then it it comes back and it says how far you were off right, in your prediction uh, or classification, whatever you're trying to accomplish, right, um, and then it, you know it performs some kind of you know uh, mathematics to figure out uh, you know how far you were off. It adjusts that. Um, and then it goes back through the layers again with uh, with your new kind of metrics, right? Um, I'm trying to explain it a, a kind of a, as simple as possible because deep learning is a, a pretty complex topic, right? So, um, yeah, and then it kind of continuously does that flow where it just tries to improve itself by going back and forth through the network, um, going through all the layers. Super interesting. Now let's apply and, and talk about it in the context of natural language processing, which is, seems it can be a subset, it seems, of both machine learning or deep learning. So t- talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, natural language processing is, is big these days, right? Um, and and uh, NLP for short, right? Natural language processing. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. Um, you know, it's broadly defined as as the automatic manipulation of, of natural language, right? By by some some kind of software. Um, the, the actual study of natural language processing has been around, you know, more than 50 years, right? It, it grew out of the field of linguistics, um, but it became really prominent, you know, in recent years with the rise of computers. Okay. Um, and there's a whole bunch of domains that, that kind of fall underneath the NLP umbrella. And that could be automatic speech recognition, which is known as ASR, um, natural language understanding, which is known as NLU, 
Um, now, NLU specifically, you know, is a branch that uses computer software to understand the input made in the form of sentences, right? So that's one example. Um, I, I, sorry, I just uh, touched upon ASR, automatic speech recognition. Uh, that's the technology that allows human beings to use their voices to speak with a computer interface in a way that resembles human conversation, right? Um, and there's a whole bunch of other ones. There's text-to-speech, which I'm sure everyone is aware of, which is, you know, converting text into speech. Uh, translation, which of course is, is translating from one language to the next. So, um, yeah, NLP you see it you see it a lot of places these days. So, when we're thinking machine learning or deep learning, what are the really good use cases for deep learning? Deep learning is better built for complex problems. Okay, um, so your image classification, anything with your computer vision problem, is better built for deep learning. Um, you know, complex natural language processing, deep learning is better uh, a better suited fit for that. So, yeah. Um, I see it out there a lot nowadays of, of clients getting involved in the NLP world because um, just looking at it from a from a high level perspective, think about how much text is out there, right? Um, never mind the amount of data, right? Like we all know how much data is out there today, but let's just look at the text data, right? And that could be uh, social media posts, right? Any comments, um, documents, right? How many how many businesses have just a thousands and thousands of documents just sitting there, right? And, and, and you want to do something with it? That's an excellent example of when you would use NLP in your business. I read an interesting article recently about how an NLP model was looking at Twitter and the geography of the U.S. and creating a heat map of how happy people were in different areas around the country. It's fascinating what, what you can do now. And that is actually, that is a massive uh, use case right now is analyzing, uh, running uh, uh, NLP on uh, Twitter or any kind of social media, right? So you're, you're getting sentiment. You have the ability to pull sentiment analysis, which is a form of NLP. Um, you have the ability to pull keywords or key phrases, right? What is everyone talking about, right? So let's pull some of those keywords and key phrases and dig a little deeper, right? Um, and you also have the ability to see other things, right? Like entities or organizations, right? What are, what are, is there a certain organization that people are talking about the most, right? As a business, look at it this way. You can monitor Twitter for your organization. So you can actually monitor Twitter to see who's talking about your business. And then you could dig deeper and say, what are they saying about my business? Now, this is where things start getting really interesting with artificial intelligence for us laymen, when we see the real and practical uses of it in our everyday lives. Being able to take these mountains of data and being able to make decisions or predictions or even summarizations of it. Now, I learned about a really interesting application of this tech recently being used to help understand the developmental progress of infants before they're able to speak, simply by decoding their babbling. The name of the company, interestingly enough, is Babbly, based out of Toronto, Canada. Now, I recently caught up with their CTO, Carla Margalath Bentabal, a brilliant data scientist who's working on this exact problem and challenging the current boundaries of deep learning to the very real benefit of parents the world over. So, Carla, tell me about the tech that you and the team are working on over there at Babbly. Yeah, so we have uh, AI models, deep learning models to analyze audio. Uh, this is not really NLP because there's no language developed yet. So it's more audio analysis. So we're analyzing the different types of noises that the kids make, uh, which can be cooing, different types of bubbling, uh, because those are um, key to the developmental stage where the kid is at. So. We analyze those with AI and combine them, the results with 
uh, the current research that is around of uh, the milestones that kids should be meeting at every month regarding language. Very interesting. So, so how did you find yourself, uh, you know, working for for Babley? You know, what's some of your background? Where did you go to school? How did you learn uh, about all the science required to to figure <laughs> out what a coup? actually means yeah <laughs> well that's that's a tricky one uh well i start. i went to university back in spain i i did computer engineering and then um i did a master's in artificial intelligence which was was more compelling to me about <laughs> that science um and i i worked in a couple of companies in canada and then i ca- in spain sorry and then i came to canada about six years ago to work in a startup called Maluba, where we're doing NLP. It was later acquired by Microsoft Research. And uh, on the later months that I was there, we were starting to build uh, deep learning models for NLP, which was pretty pretty new at the moment. That was my introduction to, to deep learning. After that, I went to work uh, here in Toronto for Amazon Alexa. Um, that was interesting because I started as a software engineer, not machine learning. That wasn't a team here yet. And then I moved to the NLU team afterwards. Um, and I say that's interesting because I think that's part of that helped me to, <laughs> to be a CTO eventually. Uh, yeah, after Alex, I was freelancing for a while, uh, just trying to figure out what was my next st- step when I met my partner, Marian, the CEO who told me about this idea and I say, well, why not? And <laughs> it's very interesting, very challenging. And the part that I did have to learn was all this, uh, was the science behind how how kids learn, what is the difference between a coup and variegated babbling, <laughs> because all my experience in NLP wasn't, uh, wasn't enough, but um, the deep learning and audio analysis, that's the part that still stays. Yeah, I would think it would be incredibly difficult to do, you know, natural language processing when this isn't language yet, or at least yeah. not formalized language. So, so how did you go about starting to crack that and figure out what it all means? Well, uh, so in natural language processing, uh, oftentimes we start with text directly, right? It's text to command. Uh, some people work in ASR, and, and there are some some studies around like direct like voice to command, but generally it's like audio analysis, ASR, and then text to, to command the NLP. So here I, I just moved to closer to the part of ASR than I was to, to the NLP side of things. So this is audio analysis. Uh, it's all about pitch and different audio features. And of course, like we don't know the, all the features that have deep learning model extract, but yeah. Well, and then you had to marry that up with the science behind the baby sounds and the various sounds that there are. Yeah, exactly. So we start with classification saying, okay, this is the sound that I'm hearing in this uh, recording or video or whatever we have. But what does that mean, right? So there's still not enough data around to know exactly different mappings, for example, what does it mean to make these types of noises at this age uh, a few years from now. But there is enough research to have some ranges and to have um, correlations, known correlations 
for example, if a milestone is missed, like variegated bubbling is missed uh, by the month, um, I forgot the exact number, <laughs> uh, but month X, then that's correlated with future neurodevelopmental disorder uh, diagnosis like autism, for example. So we do know some of those things, and that's the hybrid model that we're starting with. Uh, once we have enough, enough data, it would be great to, to get that more insights into that. Yeah, so that so it sounds like then the app isn't necessarily just telling you what what milestones your baby's crossing, but maybe if they're delayed in crossing a milestone as well, exactly. and what that might mean. Exactly. Yeah. Another thing we do is uh, given their their milestone cumulative as we analyze more and more video, we provide activities for the parents to help them go to the next milestone. That's again research backed. Uh, we have some. Uh, therapists and pediatricians in the team that helps us with that with that and uh, yeah we provide those activities that are proven to be good for any any child problem delayed or not to just go to the next step and say their first word and start saying short sentences or or even just start having conversation like even if it doesn't make sense but like those <laughs> All those little sounds. So, at what point? What is the? What is? At what age or developmental state does somebody, in a sense, um, outgrow the application? You know, once they are, you know, once they've got a command of the English language, is this meant to be all before, or do you actually do work even beyond? Yeah. So we, for now, we're starting before language. We're stopping at the point where kids start talking. Eventually, we want to expand on that, obviously, but. Uh, we're we're at around from birth to two to three years old, depending on how how fast the baby is developing. And the reason we're doing that for now is it's actually interesting that babbling is universal. So we're language agnostic at the moment. One, once we start with words, then we won't be language agnostic anymore if we want to track the number of words they have. But babbling at the different stages are universal. People start with consonants, then they, they start in, uh, start with vowels, sorry, then they start introducing consonants, then start repeating sounds and all those stages. That's interesting. I wouldn't have actually considered that because, you know, I, I speak English and so that apparently uh, the whole world is, speaks English through my lens of, <laughs> yeah. of, of exposure anyway. But, but you know, it's an amazing observation, the fact that this is a universal application since these are all sounds and the patterns are always the same, mm -hmm. that really you have a global audience with this startup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that was one of the things that caught my attention quickly. It's like, wow, I've never thought bubbling was universal. The, the specific sounds may, may change, but like the patterns, they, they are the same across cultures and language, which is really interesting. Well, and some of us never give it up. I still feel like I babble half the time anyway. But um, <laughs> so, so how much audio needs to be captured um, for you guys to be able to, for the application and the models to be able to, you know, effectively make an assessment? You know, is it minutes a day? Is it an hour a week? Or how does that work? Yeah, well, we started doing assessment with just like a short 30-second uh, audio. We can already say this is what we hear right now. Of course, for it to be meaningful, we need more longitudinal data and like not just like one example because maybe the baby didn't do one sound in one video. It doesn't mean that it's missing that skill. So we need the more the... Um, 
the more data we have, the more accurate are the, the predictions or the activities, but we are still able to, to say something from a single audio. Well, and in that the uh, the universal truth of, of AI and ML, and that is more data is, gives you greater granularity and greater yeah, accuracy. Yeah, ideally. yeah, yeah. And it's, it's always very hard to obtain as well. <laughs> but it's interesting with, with the connection, you know, the time that you spent with, with Alexa, you know, a lot of us get worried about, you know, who all's listening and are you keeping my recordings and, and these sorts of things. But with Babbles, it's not like we're get, we have state secrets here. So, but how do you handle dealing with that that amount of data as it comes in? Are we storing it historically, or are you just taking the extract from that and then making it part of the record? So we're storing it for now. Um, it, obviously, we're um, we're actually halfway to be HIPAA compliance, and we're uh, trying to keep it as secure as possible. But the reason we're start, well, uh, we ask the users, uh, of course, for their permission to see if they want to keep the video for therapists to see. So we offer options to, we have in, in the team therapies. So the, the therapist can make an assessment, not just from a one hour consultation, but also from some historical data. So some parents want to see a therapist, but if they go with the app, they can provide a couple of weeks of videos. So the therapist has a lot more information for them with the AI that tells what was found during the weeks. So a lot of parents uh, provide permission to do that so we can send the videos to the therapist. But that's definitely a huge concern and we are always aware of like security has to be priority constantly. If we're talking with some partners about maybe uh, baby monitors or other devices and that's definitely a huge concern. We're deciding whether to do it on the cloud at all or not or what to store so yeah we're still very early stage but it's definitely something to keep in mind before we continue here's some information on some upcoming events Rackspace Technology remains committed to using our position as the global leader in multi-cloud to empower you through technology to deliver the future. One way we do this is through the Solve Strategy Series. The Solve Strategy Series is a monthly collection of global roundtable events happening throughout the second half of 2020. These events feature industry influencers, experts, technologists, and leaders covering a variety of topics, including cloud security, AI and ML, multi-cloud strategy, and cloud native enablement. These roundtables always have an industry expert as the moderator, like Cheryl Hung, the VP of Ecosystem at the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, or Jack Aldrich, author and global futurist, to name a few. And they are joined by a panel of experts in their fields to engage in thought-provoking and timely conversations. These events are free, but you do have to register. And if you miss one, they're available on demand. Just head over to solve.rackspace.com and click the link for Solve strategy series. And now back to the conversation. Well, it's great that you're considering, you know, the security aspects and the HIPAA aspects of it as well. But I think it's pretty amazing to think that these audio clips can be stored in conjunction with what you're learning about it. Because, you know, how often 
you know, yeah, I know it's having young kids and you take them in because they're having a situation, but that's not happening when the doctor's looking at them, whatever was going on. Um, but now that you'd have record of all of that, you know, they can, they can have a physical examination. You can, you can interact. And then of course the historical data that exists inside of the app. And what is really interesting, we ran an experiment with, with um, a few hundred parents to ask them from videos of, of babies, like, do you think this kid is doing this or that, right? Because the first visit with a therapist is going to be a checklist of does your kid point to things? How does they request your attention? How do they want to play? And we found that parents aren't really very accurate in terms of voice and speech because we're not trained for that. We don't know. It's easy to know if your baby's crawling or is sitting or is not, right? But it's not as easy to know is just screaming and crying or there's like cool here is like variegated bubbling or it's just like noise that it's making right so um, the therapists often start that's that's why we have so much interest and a few therapists in the team because they love that they get a they get a lot more information for their assessments and not just like having a parent to remember did five months ago your baby was doing this or not Right. Super interesting. So, so let's uh, maybe change the, the course of the conversation a little. Um, so you're working with a startup now. Is it, this is, this is not the first mm -hmm. startup you've, or this is the first mm -hmm. startup you were with. Um, it's my first startup, but I've worked for other startups. Got it. So what, what's it like, you know, going from working with, you know, Amazon or that other company that ends up being bought by Microsoft and mm -hmm. uh, all this attention to, you know, now you're in this core team in a pretty exciting area. What's that like to be the CTO? Well, it's, it's challenging. <laughs> I didn't see myself, uh, okay, my next step is to be the CTO, but it just like came naturally. Like I met Marianne, she asked me if I could do the AI and I said, okay, let's do it. And then sure, AI is never alone. You need a whole infrastructure and then we need the app to, to show it and to be used and we need everything. So it's like, I, I kind of, slowly became the CTO <laughs> and uh, it's, it's really, really interesting. It's very challenging. Uh, there's so many things to keep in mind, but we've been part of a couple of startup accelerators and it was great to, to meet with other CTOs as well. Some of them were new, like me, they were engineers with a lot of experience, but new to being CTO. So. Well, and the C role of a CTO in a startup is, well, the role of any role inside of a startup is totally different than larger companies. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The lines between the roles just, you know, yeah, by the way, you know, you, you get to be coder and CTO and AI and this week. And yeah, no, I, I write code, I review code, I draw architecture diagrams, I train models, I review data on a daily basis. Yeah, I do. And clearly you don't sleep in the process just because there's so much to get done. So, uh, <laughs> so in the arc of a startup, where are you? You know, are, are you have people on the platform today? Yeah, we, we just launched uh, less than two months ago. We have about uh, 300 users. Uh, we still haven't uh, gone very wide on marketing. It's still pretty organic. Uh, we want to have some early feedback before going out wide. Uh, and we're also offering some uh, an option for a coaching program for parents with our therapies that they use both the app and the help of a therapist uh, video consultation. 
Um, so yeah, we're starting to to get attention, but we really need to 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 work on the on the technology and the marketing these following months for sure. For sure. So um, I think it's also really interesting that it's not just it's not just the um, here's here's what's going on and making the assessment and are, you know are you behind or is your child ahead, on pace or ahead, but also the 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 activities and the games to help them you know progress to that next level. I guess it's the mm-hmm. therapists who are helping design those programs. Yeah, yeah, they are all therapies provided. And like, we had parents who told us like, my kid loves this activity. And they started to say like this world, they started to say, Oh, no, they started to say bubble. (laughs) So parents do see that kids like, react to, to those specific activities. Yeah. Well, as somebody who's got a couple of kids who are well north of needing this application, you know, to have that when they were kids would have just been fascinating because you just sit there, you marvel at these little wonderful creations and you think, what on earth is going on inside of their head? What are they thinking? What does this noise mean that they're making? I mean, a parent will get the sense of that's a happy noise and that's not a happy noise, but that's about the extent of what we, what we get. Yeah, actually, we got some uh, some parents told us it was a relief to see some type of assessment. Okay, this is not just like noise or it's not just screaming. This is what it means. And this is the age when usually happens. And this is what's going to be next. So, yeah. Got it. So, so, um, so how long have you been with Babley? Um, a year, I would say, probably okay. more than a year. Yeah. Nice. And so you guys are in early release now. You've got a couple three hundred um, people using the platform. What's uh, what's in this next? We'll call it a quarter or a half year of sprints. What's what are what are the primary milestones that you guys want to want to be able to cross? Um, well, when I race uh, our next round, and that would determine <laughs> the following months for sure. Uh, we're we're partnering or trying to partner with um, um, daycare centers or baby monitor companies. So we have some B2B partnerships, but also university partnerships to do some research. We have, uh, we may start uh, some, we're in conversations with uh, University of Toronto and Stanford to do some validation studies or to um, uh, gather more more data to train different types of models um, keep evolving the, the AI, which is the core of the, of the company. So to dig a little deeper into this whole NLP topic, I reached out to one of the data scientists at Anika, who's been working in the field since the early 90s. His name is Spiro Ananiades. Now, while Spiro wasn't in the interview with Carla, I did have him listen to it in advance of our conversation, just so that he could shed some light onto the enormity of the problem that they were solving. So Spiro, welcome to the program. Why don't you share a little bit about your history? I've been uh, doing data science now for the better part of uh, 25 years. Pretty early, I knew I wanted to be a computer scientist. I started uh, with my first programming job in high school, uh, worked all through college, and then realized that when I was in college that data and artificial intelligence is where I wanted to be. Sounds like you have chosen a uh, a field that maybe you couldn't have realized how big it was going to explode. It was... uh, staggering how far we have come in such a short time. And uh, it's really due to the amount of computing power that we have now and the amount of data 
that we have access to that has made this field just explode. Well, I think one of the areas that like we heard with Carla in uh, in the interview that I did with her in is the the sheer opportunity of how to apply um, data science, specifically machine learning and deep learning, to some really interesting problems. And when we think about NLP, you know, there's some primary problems that NLP is trying to solve. Won't you take us through those? Speech recognition, natural language understanding, which is being able to digest a document and then be able to tell the user what the document means. And then natural language generation, which is being able to create the document from nothing. So when we think about what Carla and the team over at Babley are trying to solve and are solving, you know, how does that fit into the three areas where, we're, where you just mentioned in the, the three problems of NLP? Their problem is very unique in that when we're addressing natural language, NLP, we know what language we're generally dealing with. They do not know what language they're dealing with because, you know, theoretically, they have no language. They have, they have sounds that are being produced and they're tracking those. So they're doing a, a very edge case of NLP and, uh, extreme they're doing an extremely good job at it it's pretty amazing what they're doing yeah and i thought it was also interesting that they're solving a global problem or their solution has a global application because you know even though there are different languages around the world we're pre-language at this point so every baby makes all the same sounds even though they make the same sounds they'll organize them differently there'll be uh, there'll be regional differences in how they organize them but they're looking for specific sounds which Coming back to NLP is almost like if you're dealing in English and you're having to deal with, you know, 50 different types of accents that we have in the U.S., where, for instance, you're dealing with uh, the way a uh, person from California is saying uh, car versus a person from the, the Northeast says car completely different, and we still have to recognize the, the meaning of that word. So then as a data scientist, what piques your attention about what they're up to over at Babley? One of the things I found interesting about Babley is that they were using unsupervised learning for their models, um, which is a little different than a way a data scientist would have approached this problem even a couple of years ago. So a couple of years ago, you would have segmented the babbles into different consonants and vowels and speech parts, and then matched it up to a classification algorithm that used uh, human annotated sounds. So they would have said, this is a sound that a one-month-old makes. This is a sound a two-month-old makes. Uh, they seem to be doing it a different way, which is fascinating. And I think she's probably using some of her NLU experience at Amazon to solve this problem. So I have a feeling they're using some cutting edge technology over at Babley that while it's fascinating in her space of uh, newborns and infants using speech, uh, will have greater applications to other problems. 
Well, Spiro, thank you so much for your insights and sharing some of your history with us today. I was impressed with what Carla and the team had been able to achieve over at Babley, but it's also great to have those opinions validated by someone with your pedigree. Well, folks, there you have it. AI and specifically NLP in action, certainly being used to help parents have all the knowledge and information that they need to be the best parents that they can be. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. It's incredible to think that NLP as a practice and a technology is something that's been in development for so many years. I was under the misconception that it was tied to some of the high-powered computing capabilities that we have here in the modern era. Well, here's your weekly reminder to check out the content over at solve.rackspace.com. We're continually publishing original content over there that's meant to help you in your decisions and knowledge about the IT world. And it's also your reminder to subscribe to this podcast. We produce one of these every single week, and you certainly wouldn't want to miss one. Speaking of new episodes, here's what we have in store for you in our next episode of Cloud Talk. Automation is king. It might even break um, staffing models here where, where you're accustomed to a certain mix of like low cost and high cost resources because you've got all this sort of repetitive work that the low cost resources are doing. But as you automate more, you, you can't actually hold on to the old mix. You, you got to change the mix, um, which ultimately might be good for everybody because now you're creating more high paying jobs. And that's next week on Clown Talk. <laughs>